Well, um, today is a fun day. There's this fun picture of this tree back here um, because we're going to start a new series that I, I titled Rooted, um, but that doesn't make much sense today, so we're just going to stick with the tree this morning, and I'll explain the rooted part uh, beginning next week. Um, but the goal of what we're going to be doing over the next five or six weeks is, to be, is going to be to look at who it is that we want to be as a church who we want to be as a church. Where are we going? What are we doing when we gather together on a Sunday morning? What are we doing whenever we start gathering together with small groups? What are we doing as we fellowship throughout the week? What is it that we're driving towards? What are, what are we trying to accomplish? And that's, I'm hoping that I can explain that today. But I, I, I really liked this picture of the tree with, with, this, with this series because... Uh, something mind-blowing happened several years ago. My wife and I, we went to a, a concert, a concert, and a musician, out of all people, stood up. Uh, that sounded really condescending, so I apologize to our musicians. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, that's not what I meant at all, um, but it wasn't a pastor or a, a um, doctoral candidate at some seminary. It, it was a musician. He was a professional musician. Um, and he stood up after one of the songs and he said, you know, the cool thing about a tree is you only see a portion of the tree. You don't see the whole thing. If you go outside, you all have seen trees. You know what they look like. If not, I don't know how you've gotten around in life. But you know what trees look like. You look outside and you see a tree. You know what a tree is. You see the, the trunk of the tree coming up, the branches coming off the trunk, the leaves growing on that. You know what a tree is. But we only see a part of the tree. We don't see the entirety of the tree. You know why? Because a good chunk of it's underground. You don't see the whole thing. And this was really interesting to me, and I, I think I've shared this with you all before, but it was, it was the band Casting Crowns. We were at their concert, and he said, you know, a tree's like this. You got this part you see up above, and then he did this funny thing with his hands where he's like this, kind of like a mirror image, because what's underground is just about as big as what's above the ground. The, the roots just spread out all over the place, all over in different directions, and that's a good portion of the tree. See, and what we're going to talk about today, today, is what we see, what we want to become, what we want to grow into. We want to see this part up here. That's what we're going to talk about today. But over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how we get there. What, what is it that drives us? What do we need to be rooted in? How do we need to be grounded so that we can become this, this tree that we want to be? What are we driving towards and how do we get there? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I, I really like this analogy because it, it just, it's such an awesome picture of who we are. Like, as Christians, we only see a part of who we are on the outside. I come together, on a, I come together with you all on a Sunday morning, and you all see me over and over again. And most of you are like, I wish I didn't see you, but, or hear you for that matter. But we get together, and you only see a portion of who I am. A lot of you have had private conversations with me. You know more about who I am because you've had those private conversations. Something that isn't out in public. You all know who I am for that reason. And in the same way, we want, to, we want to see this part. This is who we want to become. This is what we're growing into. But who is it that we are? What are we driving towards? And how do we accomplish that goal? And that's the roots here. So this week, we're going to look at what we want to become. The next five weeks, we're going to talk about what we need to be rooted in to make that happen. So that's our goal over the next couple weeks. Now, today's sermon is going to look much different than it usually does. 
Typically, I can say, open your Bible to wherever, and we're going to walk through that. That's not going to happen today. Um, instead, if you have a Bible with you, I would also hope you have a bulletin or a piece of paper with you because we're going to be jumping all over the place. And if you want to know how we came to these conclusions, um, you're going to need a pen, all right, because you're not going to flip fast enough. All right, so, so what we're going to do is jump all over the place, and hopefully as a result of our time, you have a clear picture of where we're going as a church, who we want to be as a church, what we're trying to accomplish as a church. Hopefully you have a clear picture of that today, and hopefully, and probably more important, I hope you have a clear picture of who Jesus is and who he wants you to become. I hope that you see that as a result of our time today. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to be working from one statement, and I'm not going to ask you to stand. I do not want you to stand because this is a man-made statement. This is, not, this is not scripture, okay? I need to make that clear. This is something, as a matter of fact, I did a lot of the writing, so please do not stand for this, okay? But it is an idea of who we want to be. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this statement, and we're going to dissect it piece by piece. And before, before you accuse me of not preaching the Bible, okay? Because somebody will inevitably say, well, why didn't you just preach the Bible? I will be. This is bathed in scripture, like, over and over and over again, we use Scripture to come to this conclusion, okay? This is who we want to be, all right? One last disclaimer before we read this statement, and that's this. I got a lot of ground to cover, and I got a lot of notes, so buckle up because we're going to move, okay? So, here we go. Here is our one statement from which we'll be working the rest of the morning. It says this. It is the vision of Christian Fellowship Church to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll read that one more time just for the sake of clarity. Okay? It is the vision of Christian Fellowship Church to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, now, like I said, what I want to do from here on is I want to just dissect this piece by piece and show you why it is that this is what we want to be, who we want to be. I want to show you why this is our goal, okay? So, let's start with the very first line. It, it is the vision of Christian Fellowship Church to be a body of believers, a body of believers. Now, that may sound incredibly simple, and it is, it is. But that's who we want to be. We want to be a body of believers. Whenever I started thinking about our body, the first thing I did was I went back to our, our church constitution, some of our founding documents. Um, and I wanted to see who it was that Christian Fellowship Church wanted to be from the very beginning. Like, what was our goal in membership? What was our goal when we came together? So I'll just read that to you from our constitution. It says, The membership of Christian Fellowship Church shall consist of those believers in Jesus who have been united with Christ in baptism by immersion, have professed Jesus before men, and who make known their intent to be a part of this congregation. Okay? The very first statement there about our church membership was that we want to be a body that is comprised of believers. Now again, that may sound obvious. But to help, to help clarify what I'm getting at here, I want to tell you a little bit about what this doesn't say. Okay, because that might help us understand what this does say. All right. First of all, we do not want to just be a body of people. We don't want to just be a body of people. Okay. Now, there's a lot of people in the room today. As a matter of fact, they had to bring in chairs because there's people here today. That's awesome. I love the fact that people want to come together on a Sunday morning. I love this. This is awesome. But we don't want to just be a body of people who gather together on a Sunday morning. 
We don't want to just be random people out there. We want to be a body of believers. Now, don't misunderstand. Even if you don't know Jesus and you would say, I am not a believer in Jesus, I want you to come. I want you to be here every single Sunday. Not because I want you to become a member in that state, but because I'm confident that if you come on a Sunday morning, you're going to hear the gospel. And I, make, I don't want to hide this. I want to see you converted. Like, I want you to become a believer. That's the goal. We want to be a body of believers. So even if you're not a believer, you're welcome to come. But I'm just wanting to be clear. I want you to be converted. Okay? I want you to become a believer. So I'm going to do everything I can to convince you that Jesus is the way. So we're not just a body of people. Y'all are good people. Okay? I'm glad you're here. Second thing we don't, that we're not trying to be is we're not trying to be a social club. We're not trying to just be a social club. Okay? There are social clubs out there. That are, are good, and that's well and fine. Some of you may belong to social clubs where you get together. Let's just say a book club, for example. Those are well and fine. If you want to get together and discuss a book, that's great. I would encourage you to do that, especially if you are a believer in Jesus, because then you have an avenue to share the gospel with somebody. So please, there is nothing wrong with being in a social club, but that is not what we want to be. We don't want to be just a group that gets together because, well, we kind of like each other and we want to get together. Now, that's part of it, and I hope you like each other. I really do. I like y'all, so I hope you like each other. But that's not our primary goal. We want to be a body of believers, not a body of socially like-minded people. We want to be a body of believers. And the third thing, and then I'll, I'll get off this, um, is that we don't want to just be a body of community betterment. Now, certainly we want to, we want to strive for the betterment of our community. Sure we do. But that's not our primary reason for being together. That's not primarily why we exist. Okay? We primarily want to be a body of believers in Jesus. Now, I'm gonna, I want to be very careful in how I, how I choose these words because I don't want to offend any other churches in our area. And I'm, I have, just so that I'm as clear as I could possibly be, I have no other churches in my mind when I make this statement. No particular church. But there are churches who get together and they are genuinely good people. Who want to do genuinely good things. But they're not gathering together around the person of Jesus. They're gathering around something that looks sort of like Jesus on the outside. But really what they are is they are a community betterment group. They might be genuinely good people. But here's the problem with having a body of genuinely good people who get together, but they don't have Jesus. And that's this, is that there are genuinely good people who will die and go to hell. That's not what we want to be. I don't want you to die and go to hell. I want you to spend eternity with Jesus. We want to be a body of believers, not a body of good people, because being a good person isn't sufficient. We want to be a body of believers. That is our goal. That is our drive. We want to be a body of believers, those people who have been saved by God's grace, which means that our primary source of unity, when we get together on a Sunday morning, when we gather together throughout the week, what our primary source of unity is the person and work of Jesus. That's our primary source of unity. We want to be a body of believers. And all of this starts with Jesus. It's rooted in him. It's it's grounded in who Jesus is. By saying that we believe, what we're really saying is, is first and foremost, that Jesus was faithful in everything. That he was faithful in everything. That he lived a sinless life. He died the death that we deserved. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, and he ascended to heaven. That's what we're declaring when we say we want to be a body of believers. 
We want to be people who cling to that. But it goes deeper than that. By saying that we believe, we are saying that we acknowledge that we, as human beings, have rebelled against God. That's called sin. And in our sin, what we deserve is we deserve eternal separation from God. Yet by believing or by placing faith in Jesus, we can be saved from our sin. And that's what the Bible talks about over and over again. It's placing faith in Jesus. Faith in him. Okay, this word faith is an important one, especially whenever we start talking about the Greek. This word faith, I like to use it in the nominal form. Um, in the form of a noun. Um, I know whenever some of y'all were here, when Homer was here, he liked to say pistuo, um, which is the verbal form of the same word, okay? It's the word faith. It's pistis in the Greek. That's the noun form, the nominal form. It means to lean the entirety of our human composition, soul, mind, body, emotions, everything we have, leaning everything we have on Jesus in absolute trust. That's what this word faith or believe is as often translated means. It's what it means. So we lean everything we have on Jesus, and this comes up over and over again. I just want to give you a few examples from Romans so that we can, I can show you that this is grounded in Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, one of my favorites. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. It's for everyone who believes. It's faith. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it says the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. If you want to be deemed as righteous before God, it comes through faith in Jesus. And whenever we say we want to be a body of believers, we're declaring that this is what we believe. Faith in Jesus is necessary for salvation. Romans chapter 4, verse 24, it says, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Whenever we say that we want to be a body of believers, we're saying we want to be people who believe that. That Jesus died for us and he was raised for our justification. And that's what we mean whenever we say that we're a body of believers. Now, because our Constitution, our founding documents go this far, I have no issues going this far either. The next step that it says, by being a body of believers, it has to do with baptism. I'm so glad we got to celebrate baptism this morning. Um, I, I love baptism Sundays. I get almost giddy, which is why I can't stop laughing whenever I'm up here, because I'm just, I'm excited about baptism, y'all. Like, it's awesome whenever a person wants to declare Jesus with their life. Like, that's, that's awesome. It is awesome. So, thank you for letting me be a part of that. Um, but, but baptism is an expression of being a believer, and that's what we celebrated a little bit earlier. And I don't have time to unpack all this, okay? I, I don't have time to unpack everything that we believe about baptism because I'm already behind where I wanted to be at this point. So I don't have time for that. But if you want more regarding what we believe concerning baptism... If you want more about that, um, I actually got the privilege of preaching an entire sermon on that back on July 12th of 2020. I looked it up because it's available on YouTube, on our YouTube page. It's available on our website, which is up and running, and it looks awesome. Um, thank you, Laura Schoonover. Um, so anyway, our website's up and running. You can find it there. And if you want an audio version, and I'm not just saying this, if you want to know what we believe about baptism, please ask me, and I will personally send you the audio version. And you can hear what we believe about baptism. I would be happy to share that with you, okay? Um, but what I will say about baptism today is that baptism is an act of obedience to Christ where a person declares publicly that they have been inwardly changed by the grace of God. That's what baptism is. One scholar actually calls baptism, he says it's the proof of believers' incorporation 
into the death and resurrection of Christ. Oh, I thought that was good. And there appears to be a connection between baptism and membership in the church. Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches. The people ask what they should do. Peter tells them, repent and be baptized. Then in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says this. It says, those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And that's how this works. That's how being a part of a church works. That's what it means to be a believer. You, you believe, you accept the message in faith, and then you are baptized, then membership. We see this play out on the pages of Scripture. People believe, they're baptized, they're added to them. And a quick side note, if you are a believer, and this is about as blunt as I can be regarding this topic, okay? If you are a believer, if you have been justified by your faith in Jesus, then be baptized. Then be baptized. Um, Again, I'm going to be as aggressive as I know how to be with this. If you are a believer in Jesus and you have not been baptized, I don't know what your excuse is, but I promise it's not good enough. There is not an excuse to not be baptized if you place your faith in Jesus. There's not one. I don't care what your excuse is. We'll find a way to make it happen. Be baptized. The Bible is clear. In our small groups that we've been doing, that we've been walking through this 2-7 series, one of the verses that we just read the other day was Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And it says um, that Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? And God's word is abundantly clear that we should believe and be baptized. If we call Jesus Lord, then let's do what he said to do. It's about that simple. Okay? So, be baptized. There's a connection to the local body that is also crucial for a believer, which I'm going to elaborate on here in a couple weeks, so stay tuned for that one. But all of this has to do with, at, with our vision here at Christian Fellowship Church wanting to be a body of believers. That's what we want to be, a body of believers. Okay, that's the first clause. Second thing, it is the vision of CFC to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ. Who proclaim Christ. Okay? Since we believe in Jesus... We naturally want to tell other people to believe in Jesus also. Like, we believe that we have the message of life. Like, eternal life. We have that message. So, the most unloving thing that we could possibly do is keep our mouths shut. Like, we know how you can be saved for all of eternity. So, we want to tell other people how they can experience forgiveness and the life that is available in Jesus. And that's a big part of what we do as believers. Um, this is a long section, so stay with me here. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, it says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Y'all hear that? See, this is, this is awesome. We have been named ambassadors of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador of Christ. See, I love this because in the Bible, we always think about being saved from our sins, which is true. We are saved from our sins. But we're also saved to something. And we often miss that. 
And here we are saved to this place where we're given this title as official and authorized representatives of Jesus. You realize that's what an ambassador is. An official and authorized ambassador of Jesus. Like think about that for a minute. You are literally carrying the greatest news in the world and you have been given the authority and the responsibility to share that news with the world. And I don't care if you've been saved for five seconds or 50 years. It doesn't make a difference. You have been an official and authorized representative of King Jesus. Huh. Let that sink in for a minute. You guys know how big of a deal? I don't think y'all get it. Like, really? Jesus, God in the flesh, who came and died for the sins of the world so that you could spend eternity with God. He came and died in your place. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm not going to leave the earth. Instead, I'm going to make you my authorized representatives. Ha! Wow. And here's the thing, though. The stakes couldn't possibly be higher. Couldn't possibly be any higher. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. The stakes are so high because, because we believe that hell is a reality. We believe that. Heaven is a reality. Hell is a reality. Real places. Isaiah chapter 66, in case you don't believe me about hell. Isaiah 66 refers to hell as a place of unquenched fire. Daniel 12 calls it a place of everlasting disgrace. Matthew 25, Jesus says that it's a place of eternal punishment. And maybe the most eye-opening picture of hell, to me at least, is what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10, he says, When he takes vengeance with a flaming fire on those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. Did you hear what he said about hell there? He called it, he said that God is going to come and take vengeance with a flaming fire on those who don't know God. He talks about a place of eternal destruction. You want to talk about high stakes? There it is. Listen, some people have asked me what I think about hell, and I say, you know, I don't, I don't know that I completely have the doctrine of hell figured out. What I know is it's bad. It's not, it's not fun. It's not cute. It's not something we should joke about. Because the only way a person can be saved from this place to eternity with God is through the blood of Jesus. And the only way that happens is if we tell them. The Bible's clear about that. It's through the proclamation of Christ. That's what we find in Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 14. It says, how then can they call on him? How can they call on Jesus if they have not believed in? How can they call on him who they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We want to be a people with beautiful feet. I think I stole that from Homer. We want to have beautiful feet. I sure do. We want to be a people with beautiful feet who tell others about the good news of Jesus. We want to be faithful ambassadors. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ. That's our goal. We want to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ. It's one thing to get together and say that we believe. It's another thing to go tell people that they can believe too. We want to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ. We're going to continue. 
body of believers who proclaim Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ. Empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ. <clears throat> okay, mature followers of Christ. That assumes a few things, right? To become a mature follower of Christ. It assumes a few things. First of all, it assumes that you have become a follower of Christ. You can't be a mature follower of Christ until you are a follower of Christ, right? You can't add that adjective in there until you've already become a follower. So the first thing that assumes is that you believe in Jesus, that you are a follower of Christ. Second thing it assumes is that you're growing in that walk with Christ, okay? We've already looked at proclaiming Christ, so we know about that part, but we don't want to stop there. We proclaim him. We continue to proclaim him after, even after somebody already knows Jesus so that they can grow in Jesus, like, I don't want you just to come and be converted. I want you to come and be converted and then grow in that faith. That's what we want. We don't want to stop there. See, and I actually love this aspect of who we are here at Christian Fellowship Church because there are a lot of churches across our country, across our country. And again, I am not knocking any churches because what they do is important. But a lot of churches who simply want to make converts, who want to convince somebody enough that they will come forward and they will pray a prayer. Something along those lines. Which is fine. That's great. We want you to, I want you to be converted. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know Jesus. But what I love about this church is from the very beginning, they went further than that. This church has always wanted to build people up. We want to see you converted and then grow in that faith that you've received. I love that aspect of this church. We want to make mature followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. Um, the best picture of this I know of is in Hebrews chapter 5. The author rebukes the readers for immaturity in Christ. Uh, beginning at verse 11 of Hebrews 5, it says, We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain, since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. We don't want you to be a bunch of infant Christians. We want you to become a Christian and then grow to maturity. That's what we want. That's who we are as a church. We want to see you grow. And this has been a part of Christian Fellowship Church from the very beginning. Okay? From the very beginning. Um, because I wasn't here at the very beginning, just so you know, this church is about 40 years old and I'm not 40, so I wasn't here. Um, it, uh, maybe this is telling your age. How many of you were here? I actually don't know the answer. How many of you were here whenever Christian Fellowship Church was planted? Y'all look at them. Aren't they pretty? I said that about our moms last week, but they're pretty too. Y'all are pretty people. Not as pretty as our moms. Some of you are moms, so there you go. Can we give them a round of applause? I want to do that. See if you're awake. Yeah, yeah. Some of our founding members are here. From the very beginning, this is part of who we wanted to be, a church that sees people grow to maturity. Um, Colossians 1.28 is on a lot of our documents that, have, that I've, I've read through. Colossians 1.28 says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. Y'all catch that? We proclaim him. We proclaim Jesus so that we can present everyone mature. As we understand who Jesus was, who he is, and what he's done more and more and more, we grow and we grow and we grow. As you understand Jesus more, you will grow in your love for Jesus. I promise. If you really get it, you will grow. And the word that Colossians uses in 128 that we read as mature, it actually means perfect or complete. 
Like, we want to see Christians grow to the point that they are mature or complete. How does that happen? How is that possible? Well, just so you know, this is the same root that Jesus used, the same root word of, as what Jesus uses as he dies on the cross and he declares in the book of John that it is finished. Finished. It's complete. It's perfect. It's mature. That's what Jesus is saying as he dies on the cross. So how do we become perfect, complete, or mature? Well, Colossians 1.28 gave us a very simple explanation. It's by warning and teaching with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How do we mature in Christ? We proclaim Christ. The more you know about Jesus, the more you're going to fall in love with Jesus. You're going to grow in his grace. And this is the first part of, of this statement, right? We want, to be, we want to empower all people to become mature followers of Christ. First of all, by the wisdom of the scriptures. By the wisdom of the scriptures. So we dive into the Bible, the written word, so that we can better understand who Jesus is. So we can better understand the incarnate word. We read the written word so we know the incarnate word. That's the goal is to know Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.16 through 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete or equipped in, for every good work. We want you to be complete. We want to proclaim the scriptures. And I am genuinely convinced that the more you know Jesus, the more you'll love him. The better you know how he lived, the more you'll want to live like him. So how do you come to know Jesus? How do you learn more about Jesus? Well, you may not realize this, but there was a book written about him. Um, it's actually a compilation of 66 books, but um, it's really good. You should read it. Um, you all read the Bible? It teaches about who Jesus is. Read the book. We want to use the wisdom found in the scriptures to know Jesus more. Um, funny thing happened this week. I was talking to my wife. A lot of you know that I plan way ahead and where I'm going to be preaching, so I'm already thinking about 2022. Um, you laughed. I'm being serious. Um, I'm already thinking about 2022, and I told my wife, well, I was thinking about going here or there, and she's way smarter than me, and she said, Jared, have you ever thought about, like, preaching Jesus' life? I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting revelation. Like, actually preach the life of Jesus. And I was a little convicted. I believe God used my wife to convict me of something the other day. You know, I've been, I've been serving as a pastor here for about a year and a half now. And we have spent very little time in the gospel accounts of Jesus. Very little time there. So just so you all know, 2022, we're going to go to the gospels. Like, we're going to start looking at who Jesus is, how he lived, how he walked. We're going to start looking at who Jesus was. Because the more we know him, the more we're going to fall in love with him. And the more we'll want to follow him will grow to maturity in Jesus by knowing who he was and what he's done. That's, that's my prayer for the next year. Uh, the truth is, the truth is, though, that regardless of what I preach on a Sunday morning, y'all are going to have to help me out. Because I get a very limited window of time with y'all, and some of you are thinking, I wish it was more limited. But I get a very limited window of time with you. And if you're just relying on me, you're going to be malnourished. Like, pick up the book and read it. Know Jesus. Read the book. Study who he was and become more like him. I urge you to do that. Okay? So we want to empower all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the scriptures and also by the power of the Holy Spirit. And whenever I say we want you to become mature followers of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean this in a couple ways and I promise I'll fly. Okay? <clears throat> First of all, we recognize the need for the Holy Spirit to change a person and to help them grow. 
The reality is, is a lot of times I think I'm pretty smart, but I am never going to be smart enough. I'm never going to be eloquent enough. I'm never going to be passionate enough to cause you to love Jesus more. That's got to be God's work. I can't. I might be able to motivate you to do something for a little while, but I can't change your heart. Only Jesus can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. He can change your heart. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be persuasive. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear. We should persuade. But we should ask God for the wisdom to do so. Paul talks about persuading. If you're curious where 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about being persuasive in our speech. But John 16, verse 8. It says, when he comes, the helper, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's God's work, not yours or mine. Now, God might choose to work through you, but that's his work, all right? And I can't overstress that. What we need, as if we're going to be effective in carrying out this vision that we've seen, like this picture of what we want to become, we need the Holy Spirit of God to work in and through us absolutely necessary. Okay, so I pray that God would do that. And this is just evidence of how much we need that spirit. Um, So the second thing I mean whenever I say by the power of the Holy Spirit is I mean that the Holy Spirit is essential for us to be able to proclaim anyway. Like, I I thought it was funny. It was like, so you're saying I need the power of the Holy Spirit to tell somebody about Jesus? This was a meme. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't share share this right now. But anyway, the meme went on and it said, it said, bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. Like, We need the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite passages is um, the first couple chapters of Acts. I absolutely love the way the Christian church was founded. Um, In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches at Pentecost, and thousands of people come to know Jesus. Why did they come to know Jesus? Is it because Peter was so eloquent? Was it because he was a well-seasoned or well-trained preacher? No. Actually, I think it's funny, he's quite the opposite. As I was studying homiletics, um, the act of preaching, as I was studying homiletics, they said, you know what, if you're going to be a preacher, do not do it the way Peter did it. Like, if just from a homiletic standpoint, Peter's sermon was awful. But you know what, thousands of people came to know Jesus. Why? Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to proclaim Christ well. People were saved in Acts chapter 2 because of the power of the Holy Spirit coming down on the apostles. And then Peter and John, they're called in. Okay, i got to keep going just for a minute. Okay, Peter and John, they're called in before the Jewish leaders because they were a part of healing this lame man. Okay, so they're called in before these these leaders, and they say, by by what power did you heal this man? And I love their response. The response is found in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. It says, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you, all of you, and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by this man, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And I love it, because all how that whole passage start? Whole passage started with, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why was Peter able to boldly proclaim Christ in the face of persecution? 
because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. As a church, if we're going to accomplish our goal, if we're going to do well to proclaim Christ, we are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that God would fill us again and again and again. It is the vision of Christian Fellowship Church to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what? Well, I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'll let you do with it what you want. Ask how you're going to respond today. First of all, I want to ask this. Are you a believer in Jesus? Are you a believer in Jesus? Because if not, I hope you've seen through our time today how important knowing Jesus is. If you've learned nothing else, I hope that you've heard that the stakes are exceptionally high as to whether you will receive Jesus by faith or not. And I plead with you, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Have you been baptized? If not, I hope you see that baptism is a direct response to believing in Jesus. Direct response to believing in Jesus. If you haven't been baptized, I would like you to ask yourself, why not? Why not? What are you waiting for? We got water in the baptistry. Like it's there. Let's use it. Identify with Christ. Third, I want to ask, are you an active member in a local body? If not, how can we help you come alongside us and work toward this vision? How can we encourage you? How can we build you up? How can you come alongside us and help us? How can we do that? Are you proclaiming Christ, both in your actions, which is absolutely important, but also in your words, because people without hearing the gospel will die apart from the gospel and spend eternity separated from God? Are you proclaiming Christ? Because if you are a believer in Jesus, it is imperative that we are sharing the gospel. And are you growing in the likeness of Christ, becoming more like him? So quick follow-up question to that one is, are you studying your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Often. Not just periodically, not just on Sunday mornings. Are you reading your Bible regularly? Are you knowing the God of the Bible? Last question I want to ask you is, are you asking God to move in you so that you can be an effective and faithful ambassador of Christ? Are you asking God to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can be effective at the mission that God has given to the church? Are you? Now listen, I know that's a wide range of possible applications, but that, that statement was intended to be broad. It was intended that way. So I know that's a broad range of applications, but this is who we want to be as a church. It's what we're trying to accomplish because we believe this is who God wants us to be. We believe this is where God is driving us. So how will you respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. God, above and beyond all of that, I thank you for Jesus who made all of that possible. Father, I want to pray. I want to pray for those non-believers who have inevitably heard this message today, God, and I pray that you would make it effective. I know that I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough to make that effective. God, only you can do it by the power of your spirit. God, I pray that you would convict of sin. I pray that you would turn hearts towards yourself. God, I pray that you would save people from eternity in hell. God, I pray that they would come to know you for all of eternity and enjoy you forever. Please, Lord, I ask that you would do that. Father, I pray that as a church, we would be faithful ambassadors. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that our proclamation might be effective. God, I pray that we wouldn't just leave this place and say, um, okay, what's next? God, I pray that we would go out and we would say, who can I tell about Jesus? And pray to you and say, God, fill us and direct us. 
Lord, let us be faithful ambassadors. God, I pray that you would build us into the church that you want us to be. I pray that you would build us into the people you want us to be and that you would make your word effective. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.